Greetings all, and Happy New Year, and we want to welcome you to the Church's Changing Podcast. I'm Paul Nixon. And I'm Beth Estock. And this is our annual What Just Happened in the Last Year conversation. And Beth, it's so good to see you. It is so good to see you, Paul. We have to do this more often. <laughs> yes, it's always a fun conversation when we get in the room together. There's just no telling where this conversation is going to go. You know, church is changing, as you know, because you we, we both have interviewed all kinds of different creative souls that are innovating in various ways in ministry mm-hmm. on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean this year. But it has been a year. Every year I keep thinking it's going to settle down, but this was really a year. And it looks like, I don't know, it looks like there's like a great church resignation going on yes. with a with a good segment of people. Are you feeling that, seeing that? Yes, I am seeing that. And one of the things that has surprised me is I thought that church leaders would be able to come back and engage. And I'm even seeing the continuation of burnout in church leaders. And I don't think that we've seen the end of the effects of the pandemic on church life. It's just, we're not at the end of it yet. Yeah, It's still unraveling. It's just the strangest thing. You know, we thought that after a few months, we would just kind of all rally back. But it sort of varies by region and demographic, mm-hmm. but there are just segments of the population that just have sh- they just not showed up in the same numbers, or they just disappeared altogether. And one of those in in certain regions is families with kids, and these churches were holding together a a, a bare minimum quorum of kids and youth that they could still do the the, the old time programming, and it just collapsed. And these families, they say they love their pastor, they love their church, but they just haven't gotten back after a couple of years on Zoom. Yeah, I'm experiencing that in the church that I serve right now. There were multiple families here pre-COVID, and now there's only one 12-year-old little girl, and Mm. that's it. And the rest of the families have not come back. And it's not that they're anti-church or anti-God, it's just that wow, life is fast and furious, and wow, it's really nice to have a little bit of extra time on Sunday to catch up. I think a lot of folks that were in the habit of pushing out the door to to gather with churches on Sunday, I think a lot of folks discovered the glory of waffles in pajamas at Mm -hmm. 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Sunday is decidedly a less frenetic day than Saturday, although there's a lot of children's sports and all that going on, but it's still, I think a lot of folks d- discovered that space. There are a lot of folks that do engage online, but it's a different kind of engagement. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of engagement. And, you know, we've not figured out how to respond to that. People are innovating and trying some different things but this is this is a live area for experimenting innovating and discovering conversing with these folks as to what what's happening in their lives where are they going yeah and for me um okay i just want to say i'm in the pacific northwest i'm in a very small rural town of under a thousand people with a small united methodist congregation 
and I am an innovator and think outside the box. And so where this has placed me in my thought process is to kind of bust open the doors even wider than even our Weird Church book has promoted to really ask some deep questions. And I know people have been asking these questions, but I think there's another depth to this question. Why church? Mm. Why church at all? Mm. And what is it that we want to hold on to that is nourishing, that is transformative, that has Christ consciousness about it? And how can we then bring that into the world in a very different way to, as we say in our Weird Church book, to sacramentalize the world? You know, to say that it's not just what happens on Sunday morning with the small group of people. It's like, boom, out in the world, this is life. And where are the holy, sacred moments in our life as community together? Well, I think in in that reflection, we can see that there is movement required on the part of church leaders to find people on the journey and to come along with them on that journey. You know, I, I, I wrote a blog, I don't know, a couple months ago about showing up in people's lives. We want them to show up at church. Let's show up at the ball game and whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's but but it's more than that. It's it's about showing up with them on the journey they're on. And it's not the bait and switch. It's no. not the hey, I'm going to join this group or that group in order to invite them to church to grow church numbers. It is like, hey, leaving the church behind of of the the inherited church concept behind and just being on the journey with people being the priest in community, the the one who holds the space to say, wow, we're experiencing the kingdom of God together or the realm of God or, or this holy moment together. Do you see it? Wow. Wow. So <laughs> tis not the season for rehashing sermons from, from 2009 because we're, we're going through the lectionary cycle again. It's just... We're, we've got to mentally and spiritually get out of the house and find the people and join them. And, you know, being a pastor in a, in a small church, loving my people in this church and knowing how much they love the traditional worship experience mm. and they love that sermon time and mm. after worship, hang out for about 45 minutes together Mm. because they love each other. I don't want to take anything away from that. And when I'm in, in that community, it's even hard for me to conceptualize, well, what is it for me then to be in the neighborhood and just meeting with people? So there's this, there's this dissonance that I think pastors experience the beloved community inside the church and knowing, wow, that doesn't have a lot of legs in the next 10 years. You know, something has to happen. If we've got two worlds, the world inside the church and all all of this world where a lot of our people that were in the church are now out on a different kind of journey, it 
it is demanding of pastors, and not every pastor is going to feel like they've got the energy to straddle that two-point charge, you know? Yeah, and, you know, it really depends on the congregation that you have as well. I happen to have a very healthy congregation. But, boy, when when the numbers start declining, it's like Elvis has left the building, you know? It's so hard. The A team has left, the B team has left, and you're dealing with the C team, you know? So many churches show up to so many fewer people in the room than they saw two or three years ago. And it's not like this is, you know, a slow thing over 10 years. It's just like, ba-boom. And it's really demoralizing. And I think that even feeds some of this disengagement. Hey, but... Moving along on, on, on thoughts here, one of the shifts that we're seeing in the culture, it, it seems, is a shift from passive to active and a shift from generic kind of one size to lots and lots and lots of choices. I have a client who is trying to introduce a discipleship emphasis in 2023. I think he's on to some good thoughts with that in his context, but I have warned him he better make it highly customized. Because the days of little notebooks where we fill in the blanks, the days of curriculum in terms of discipleship, where everybody's kind of on the same journey, I think those days are are numbered, and the discipleship journey is as much of an adventure as you, what you were talking about a moment ago. People are out there, and they're try, trying to discover spirituality on the journey they're on, and you can't just equip that from a from in a class setting or in a sermon. I mean, it, it it just has to involve a lot of conversation. Yeah, and I, again, I relate so clearly with pastors who are trying to, to, to do that kind of programming and thinking like, wow, if people just came, the, the content that I have and the way that I present it is just really beautiful. And it's like, but who's going to show up? Really, who is going to show up? I had a conversation with my oldest daughter. She's 28 years old, just last night. And she goes, Mom, sometimes I'm afraid to tell people that you're a pastor because I'm afraid that they won't even talk to me Hmm. because Christianity has gotten such a bad branding in in our culture today. And, you know, you have these crazies, you know, pitting God against country, and right, they're just just crazy people. And they get a lot of attention, and they that's where the airtime goes in terms of the public attention. And it does it does cast question marks over all of us because it's sort of an oxymoron to imagine a healthy spiritual community for people that all they see is this dysfunction. Exactly. Exactly. And there are parts, there are communities in the United Methodist world, probably not where you are as much, but back to the east of you, where the the discord and the acrimony right now as we go through this schism thing is enough that sort of everybody in town knows that the Methodists are fighting and fussing. Okay, so that's the brand. And, and I think there's a lot of our folk that are having to deal with that issue in addition to just general challenges of organized religion these days. It's hard. It's a hard moment. Do you think, though, that in this more customized world, that where do you see entry points? I mean, it may not be as much the worship service for a lot of people, but where are entry points into meaningful engagement with 
God and community. Where, what are some of the doorways that might be interesting for us all to be exploring and really looking at in, in the year coming up? That's a really good question, Paul. And the I think it's highly contextualized to where you're living, what's happening in that community. But I think the key point for me is what makes you come alive? Mm. Where is your joy? What are you curious about? What do you want to experiment with? And follow that joy and just have fun with it because it's all the unknown now. We're still in liminal space. So let's just have fun with it and engage where it brings us joy. Mm, That's good. And that can be a variety of things, whatever your hobby is, whatever your interest is, you know, engage, get to know people. And here's the thing. It is not a bait and switch. Just clear your mind and your heart of the bait and switch. Just engage and pray, dear God, help help me discover your grace in the midst of this together with these people. And that's it. Do you see, I see, a segment of population who really enjoys serving fellow human beings as a spiritual exercise, many of whom are not religious. They, they may consider themselves spiritual, but not religious, but, but they do find deep, deep meaning in service. We see that in the ministries that sort of orbit around the church that I serve, a good number, and their number is growing, and they won't likely walk into a worship service except maybe on Christmas Eve or something, but they are passionate about loving their neighbors, and they find a sense of church you know, cooking in the kitchen and working in in ministries that have very tangible impact on people that are in need. Do you see that also? Yes, I do. I have an example. This little church that I serve, they offer a children's Christmas store one Saturday in December where children can come. They get a personal shopper. They go into the fellowship hall and they get gifts for every person in their family at 50 cents a piece. And then we have tables of gift wrappers. So these little kids walk back into the sanctuary and meet their parents with all of their Christmas presents wrapped and ready for Christmas. Now, we don't have enough people in our church to do this, but we had like 25 people from the community come and help with the entire event because it's such an awesome event for this community. That really, really sounds like a blast. Yes, it was awesome. Well, there are these sort of signature events. You'll do that again next year, I'm sure. Oh, yes. And, and as well those volunteers. I mean, that, that, that event was, was meaningful enough on enough levels that it will come back like a bulbed plant, you know, that just keeps coming back year after year for a good while. You know, it's... I do believe there is a sense that there are used to we would talk about we had the 8:30 crowd and the 9 o'clock the 9:30 crowd and the 11 o'clock crowd and these and we were thinking in terms of worship services. I think now we have the worship service crowd and then we <laughs> may and then we have the people that work in the volunteering around a major point of human need. We may have another group that's more of a the crowd that shows up for social 
events where there's still meaningful community and 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 on and on. And in some cases, there there are sort of house churches that develop, and mm-hmm. those folks aren't going to come to the big house very rarely, would they? Because they find what they need in the in the circle where they gather. So. If we are conceiving of church as the people who show up in a sanctuary, we are really limiting ourselves and cutting ourselves yes. off from our future, it would seem. Yes. You know, when I, of course, we're in the unknown, but when I kind of make some hunches about what this unfolding will look like, I really go back to that monastic kind of configuration that the church will be, a, the, the, the worshiping community will be small. It will be a shaping and forming, and it will be high ritual, highly spiritual, deep depth of commitment. And from those small, that small group of people, there's going to be a massive kind of engagement in the larger community of these people activating on behalf of their Christian witness in the world. And I think part of that, then that care of that smaller community, I'm seeing might be more lay focused. And the elder, the ordained person, will be the priest in community will be more like the, the Celtic priest. Uh, I, I heard this story somewhere. I, I don't know where. It's a story about a, a, a priest in, in Ireland who's walking in this rural area and calls to the farmer in the field and said, hey, you know, worship is at X amount of time. And the farmer yells back, hey, do you see what I'm doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in my field, you know, I, I'm plowing right now. If you want to talk to me about worship, why don't you come and help me plow? So the priest does this and spends the whole day with the farmer. The farmer then invites the priest in for our food. And then at the end of the meal, the farmer turns to the priest and says, now, what were you saying about church? Yeah, that metaphor right there, could we could we could just go with that. I think that summarizes so much of what we are seeing, but that is a great metaphor for all of us just to throw it, put on the table and say, how does that resonate with this world in which we are finding ourselves right now? I I really, really like that story. Hey, one of the buzzwords of 22, of the last couple of years, and I say buzzword because I didn't hear anybody talking about it before the pandemic. I really didn't. I know the word has been around, but it's it it it's like everybody's talking about deconstruction, deconstruction. And when we wrote our 2016 book, Weird Church, you remember I pushed back a little bit when we wrote this chapter on theological shifts. There was a I think the chapter was entitled "From Head Trip to Heart Warmed." You know, moving away from a a real didactic tight didactic kind of faith to to something a little more fluid. And at the time we were writing that, you know, the reality we are now experiencing had not yet hit many U.S. churches, but it's hitting all sides right mm-hmm. now. Right. So in the this term deconstruction and reconstruction, as we sort of take, a, take down some of the aspects or understandings 
or concepts or paradigms of faith that we've lived with for a long time and sort of take them down to the kind of the the bare elements and then put them back together again. Is that a part of the world in which you're pastoring? Are your people having to do any of that? Or is the people in the house not needing that as much as the people outside? What What's going on with, what, what is your take on reconstruction, deconstruction, all that business? Well, I, I'll answer it this way. One of the questions, I, I came into this community in August, so I'm still new. Mm-hmm. And so when I meet people, one of the questions I always ask is, if you could change one thing about this town, what would that be? That's a great question. I have been surprised that everybody that I ask answers it in the exact same way. Really? Do tell. And they say, yeah, they say that we used to be able to have conversation together across political lines, across socioeconomic lines. Now we're afraid to talk to each other. The polarization is just Mm. so extreme. And if I could wave a magic wand, it would be that we would be able to have conversation and get along. Wow. And so for me, when I think about, well, what is one of my roles in this community? It, it definitely is to help, help people grow in their social and emotional intelligence skills. Hmm. So that possibly the church, the gathered community, can be a place where we can hold space for difficult conversation. So, you know, deconstruction in terms of what kind of theology is that? It's definitely more of a, a holistic, not focused on we're sinners and there's something wrong with you and we need to take sides. And if you don't believe the way I believe or you know, whatever, there's something wrong with you. That's the polarization piece. It's more of a, where is our sacred connection? Where is goodness, truth, and beauty that we can find in each person that we encounter? So it is a very different kind of theological stance. You know, a lot of times deconstruction, as I hear people talk about it, it's it's largely, not entirely, but largely related to people that are trying to untangle themselves from elements of fundamentalism, which mm. which are even, we see that even within Methodism, not nearly to the degree that we see it in some of our sister churches, but we do. And they're, they're wanting to continue on a meaningful sense of faith, but they know they've got to disentangle themselves with some ideas that were part of this sort of fundamentalistic and often over-literalistic view of, of, of things. And so as I see them sort of putting things back together again, one of the things that I see is that taking old stories and 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 whether you want to, regardless of what your historical understanding was of the story, but discovering the powerful spiritual metaphor in that story that speaks to your heart today. You know, and I was reading St. Augustine, St. Augustine one morning this week, and that's what he was doing, and that's what a lot of the early Christian writers were doing. And and years ago, I remember thinking these were some of the dumbest metaphors that they that they brought out, but it made sense in the context where they were, mm. and they were drawing on on the sort of the core material of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and they were discovering meaningful metaphor for their lives. I see a lot of folks 
wanting to do that. And when you do that, you can also add texts and sources from other traditions as well mm-hmm. that that dance with the biblical tradition. But I see a lot of that going on right now, more maybe than 25 years ago. That's a That's a beautiful unfolding. Because when you think about it, you know, any kind of religion can get stuck in that ethnocentric viewpoint of my faith, my belief, my practice is the right way and yours is the wrong way. And there's something wrong with you and we need to come in and change you. It's a very imperialistic approach. And in this divided world, in this polarized world, why would we want to double down on that in our theology? We are going through a schism within American Methodism right now in parts of the country. And there's other, some parts of the country where either the whole annual conference is leaving gladly or they're all staying and there's not a lot of debate about anything. But there are segments of the country where at the congregational level, people are being torn apart and people could say about their church, what some of them are saying about your town, you know, that we, we are just torn at our hearts that we used to be Mm -hmm. a community and now we're being, we we can't even talk to one another anymore. Mm -hmm. And the behavior that we hear reported from some of these church conferences where, where the disaffiliation vote wins by two votes or fails by three votes, the bitterness and the acrimony among people that had been friends for decades is just Mm. heartbreaking. So we have a lot of folks that are traumatized, yeah, that are going through painful grieving right now, all aside from what the world thinks or doesn't think about the church. Being a part of the church is really painful right now in a lot of places in Methodism. And you know, it's a pastoral challenge. This is part of the reason that a lot of pastors are worn out because they get attacked too, one way or another and all of that. Any thoughts about how we begin to heal from all of this in the next 18 months as we move toward general conference? Wow, that's a big question, Paul. (laughs) Gosh, the only thing that really comes to my mind right now is this, it's an image of placing my hand on my heart because the, the, you're right, it is trauma, and everyone involved is a part of that trauma. So how do you heal from trauma? It's a practice of compassion. It's a practice of kind of re-holding and loving of ourselves so that we, in turn, can hold space and compassion for others who don't think or believe the way we do. Because, you know, there's just, we're, we're triggered and there's such anxiety in that triggering. And then we move to fight, flight, or freeze. And the only way to get out of that is to kind of put our own oxygen mask on so we can come back to kind of self-regulated awareness and, again, the capacity to hold the space. And that is what I think the church could step into as boy, we think that we're irrelevant, but the church could be the place where we could hold space for the depth of conversation. What I see happening in the Methodist church right now is just a symptom of the larger anxiety, free-floating anxiety in the world right now. I do agree with that. 
that this is a part of a larger narrative that ne- mm-hmm. is not necessarily just about Methodism. Yes, right. I agree with that. And so, you know, instead of trying to hold it together, what if we just said, wow, it's coming all apart. So where's my oxygen mask? You know, what do I need to do to take care of myself? And then how can I reach out to somebody else and help them put their oxygen mask on too? I think we're going to lose so many people in this. Oh, no doubt. No doubt we're going to lose some folks. It's sort of right now, in, it, as I hear it described in certain parts of the U.S., talking to colleagues, it reminds me of a refugee camp where in the aftermath of this war, everyone is trying to find their people. Everyone is trying to find a sense of home. And yet home has been bombed out. You can't go, you can't go back to that particular place. It's not, it doesn't exist. But everybody's trying to get home. Everybody's trying to get to a place, to a space where they can feel like they're in a sense of spiritual home again. This is a huge task. It's not just an organizing task, although partly that it is, but it's a it's a powerfully pastoral task that that is going to have to happen in great parts of the country at a district level, at a conference level, at a you know, very very local level to help people find a lifeboat and a sense of safe space and a sense of renewed joy where they can sing again. Yeah. And in order to help people in that process, the leaders have to have a capacity to stand in the midst of the chaos and the conflict and the mess with an open heart and a realistic perspective instead of being triggered by trying to fix or rescue. So what is the new thing that longs to spring forth in the midst of the disintegration? That might be something Mm. totally new. And if we're just trying to rescue, we're not looking for that new thing that longs to spring forth. And this could be a really beautiful opportunity for that. Do you have any predictions for 2023? (laughs) I just think that we're going to be going through this, this liminal unknown for a little while longer. So, you know, hold it lightly, people. What, how about you, Paul? I have a sense. Yeah, we're in this liminal sea. I have a sense that it's just a sense, but it's getting to be a stronger sense that we're in this foggy liminal sea, and we're about to hit the rocks of land if we don't watch out. I mean, I I feel like liminal doesn't last forever, and there is a new world that is going to fast be appearing. And I think to go back to that notion that you had about the monastic model, I think it has a lot to do with that. I think in this new world of the post-program church, I think it is a a community of joyful pilgrims, often not very big at the core, Mm -hmm. who are are able to dance with the Holy Spirit and to create a space where a lot of people can get in to the sandbox and play and have a good time. And another metaphor of it that I... It could be like it, the, 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 this, this new church is a little bit like an ant 
that can walk off with a whole piece of cherry pie at, at the picnic. And you wonder, how does that little <laughs> thing carry weight that is so much bigger than its own mass? And that's the... It's it's like the it's it's the feeding of the five thousand. It's it's this miracle of how just a little bit is able to leverage a lot. I think we're going to be discovering it, it, even more than those particulars. I think we are going to be seeing some land here pretty soon, and and some folks are going to sail right past the island because because they're still looking for for church as it used to exist yeah. and they're not going to find it you know they'll just yeah. drift out into the Pacific Ocean into you know oblivion but i think there are going to be more and more folks that are saying yeah wait a second i'm seeing the outline of a new world of a new land of a new landscape and i you know i believe it's going to be a good a good world and a good land so I'm, 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 I guess, forever the optimist. I really feel like it's a creative season, even as we're sort of deconstructing <laughs> the United Methodist Church right now. I do see a lot of innovation, a lot of joy, and some good, some good ahas in the in the future. Yeah, I think that when you know when things start disintegrating, as it's not just in the church. It's our politics. It's it's institution, institutional life. And we are in this, you know, what's going to come next? And that is a place, you know, it's it's the void, right? It's God created out of nothing. It's staring into the void and saying, wow, how can we enter into co-creation with God right now? So it can be very hopeful. And I love that image of the, of the feeding of the 5,000, because if we can step into that, there's so much freedom and joy in it. Yeah, like it. Well, I got a couple frozen fish in the other room in here. Maybe we could. <laughs> Beth, it is so good to visit with you today. And I hope that we reconnect in the same GPS sometime in 2023. I'm sure we will. Okay. I just, before we go, Paul, I was yeah. looking because you you sent that email about our book, uh, Weird Church, that chapter of From Head Trip to Heart Warmed. And I just came along, across this paragraph I yeah. think it's a beautiful kind okay, of great. encapsulation. Good, good. So we wrote, millions of people long for deep connection in a community of belonging. They look for rituals that will ground them in something beyond themselves. They are interested in the practices that will help them to grow in the ways of love, as well as make a positive difference in the world. They are looking for what unites rather than focusing on what might divide. They would resonate with John Wesley when he said to the Catholics in his, mit- in his midst, if your heart is as mine, then let us join hands. Beautiful. I think you wrote that. <laughs> I think you wrote that paragraph. It's lovely. It kind of sounds like me, doesn't it? It does. It does. <laughs> Well, Beth, thanks. And to our listeners, we keep getting wonderful feedback from you, and we encourage you to reach out to us. And in the show notes on this particular episode, we will have contact for both of us so that we we can have side conversations. It's always fun to get feedback or to discover that you've you've shared the podcast with friends. That means a lot. And we'd also want um, different topics that you'd like us to... We'd love to have that. Absolutely. Love it. Beth, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Paul. I look forward to the next season of Churches Changing with you. 
This is the Church is Changing podcast. I'm Paul Nixon with Beth S. Stock. This is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Church is Changing podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.